Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Last week we learned how to speak from the heart with self-respect and skill. Today we're going to continue the strength of courage with an episode dedicated to asserting ourselves effectively. Relationships go smoothly when everyone wants the same things, but how common is that? If little comments and adjustments resolve the problem, great. If not, we need to learn how to combine empathy for the other person with clear, skillful assertions of our own views to solve problems and address interpersonal issues. In even the most supportive and positive relationships, we still need to assert ourselves, if only in small and subtle ways. It may seem rude or pushy to be assertive, but it's natural for others to express themselves and try to get what they want. And it's natural for you to do the same. To help us learn how to do this, I'm joined by Dr. Rick Hansen. So in this episode, I think we're going to mostly focus more on tactics and strategies for effective communication rather than some of the big picture ideas that come up in our podcast regularly. Okay. So to start by grounding us, though, what are some of the reasons people struggle to assert themselves effectively? I think people tend to uh, get into trouble when they go too far either way. In other words, on the one hand, mm. uh, they don't speak up at all, or at the other extreme, they come in like gangbusters uh, and just blow others out of the water. So asserting mm. yourself mm-hmm. effectively is that sweet spot. It's, again, a recurring theme, sort of the middle way here. It's that sweet spot where you're in the middle. You're taking into account everything that we've covered so far about empathy, unilateral virtue, speaking from the heart, holding others in your heart, etc. And on the other hand, all right, now we're getting ready to get into uh, take, you know, getting into the ring uh, where the rubber really meets the road, mixing a lot of metaphors there, uh, and where we really are okay having to speak up strongly with other people. So now we're going to talk about how to actually do that. That's great. And I think that as a context to this, so much of what we've done in these podcasts to this date has kind of led up to this point. That's right. Where when we develop those skills internally and we're we're truly resourced inside and we're able to relate to the other person, have empathy for their experience, really speak from the heart and hold them in our own heart as we do all of a sudden we're on much more sturdy ground to assert Mm -hmm. ourselves effectively, which I think is really kind of a a beautiful metaphor here. Yeah, that's right. So with that as some context, we're going to move right into the sort of more operational content here. I think it can be helpful to think about a challenging conversation or an interaction with another person as having kind of three big phases. There's the setup or the preamble, there's the conversation itself, And then there are the results of that conversation where you see how it went, you collect new information, you decide what to do from there. So let's go through those three phases in order and establish some of the ways that we can assert ourselves effectively during each. So before a conversation begins, last week we spoke a little bit about talking about talking or setting the stage. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things we can do to assert ourselves more effectively inside of that process? Yeah. So let's say that you've establish some ground rules, you've laid a foundation, so we're just going to presume that going forward. Um, Before getting into it with someone, the more important the topic is, and the more that things have tended to go badly in the past, it's really useful to prepare for the interaction. And I've used the expression in the past, prep to prevail. And I've also said in the past that what that means to me is know what you see, know what you want, know what you're going to do. So to now get into the nitty-gritty of that, in terms of knowing what you see, establish the facts. It's really 
helpful. I've seen in so many conflicts to pin down what the actual facts are, not to uh, be like a prosecutor with another person or make them feel bad that you know what the facts are and they don't, but more to really sort out what's going on here. For example, uh, research generally on uh, men and women who are raising children together, say in a heterosexual relationship, on average, women tend to overestimate, or I'll put it differently, mothers on average tend to underestimate how much their partner, the father, is doing. But on the other hand, the fathers tend to overestimate factually how much they're actually doing in terms of housework and childcare. So it's helpful to clarify the facts because that tends to narrow the conflict. A second thing that's really useful is to know what your relevant values are. What do you really care about? Try to name them to yourself. Why is it important to you that another person does something differently from now on? Uh, it may seem self-evident to you, but I've been in, as a longtime couples counselor and parent and husband myself, I've been in many situations in which uh, the other person just asserted that, of course, we ought to you know, do something. And I didn't know why. Like, why do that thing? Why is it actually important to you? Or flip it around, I would say that. And it wasn't clear to the other person what the relevant values were or principles were. So it's helpful to clarify that. And then when you're done with that, you can step back and kind of decide for yourself, you know, what am I really going to do here? You could decide to just let it go it's not worth getting into it. Or you could decide that, you know, if you're going to unilaterally and quietly take a different kind of action in the future, this issue won't arise. And so you don't really need to talk about it because the conditions are not really ripe or supportive for talking about it. Maybe, for example, you've got a friend who gets obnoxious when you go out to dinner and they have a couple glasses of wine. You could talk about it maybe decide not to talk about it and just only go out to lunch or breakfast from now on. So that's one option. Mm. At the other end of the range of possibilities, um, you could decide that this is really, really important to you. It's a potential deal breaker in the relationship. It's very significant. You're going to find a way to really bring a kind of gravity uh, to bear. And you're really, really clear that you are going to watch and see what the other person does and what they do will be very consequential in shaping the relationship. And the, between mm -hmm. those two uh, extremes or those two poles, let's say, there often are things that are sort of in the middle in which you say to yourself, for example, things like, you know, I'm going to give this one 10 minutes. If the other person starts sputtering and resisting, uh, I'm just not going to push it with them. Or you might think to yourself, I'm going to try to do this on my own. And if we don't have a good result, uh, I'm then going to say, you know, I think we should get a third party involved, or I think we should get a second mm. opinion. Maybe it would be helpful to resolve an issue, not to go see a lawyer or a therapist, but rather get an independent opinion from someone like, I don't know, a building contractor who can tell you what you could actually do with your plumbing uh, that you're arguing about, let's say, with your, with your roommates. Um, so, you know, it helps to know what your range of options is before you go into the situation. So for me, that's, mm -hmm. that's the prep. That's the prep. Know what you see, know what you want, know what you're going to do. I think that makes great sense. And just as a quick note from that, in some relationships, the possibility exists of doing this collaboratively with another person. Yeah. If you have, yeah, if you have a great foundation of a relationship with somebody already, but point. there's something that's been kind of standing in between 
the two of you and really coming to an accord on something, it can make sense to go through this fact-finding mission actually with them instead of kind of quietly to yourself more covertly. And Mm. doing that even in partnership with somebody else can actually be a really wonderful way to build rapport and come to a really uh, stable, steady landing. So I would just kind of throw that out there as a possibility. If you feel like you're in, yeah, if you feel like you're in a relationship with somebody that is stable enough to do that with them. Yeah, that's great. Great. So if we've set the stage in that way, we've tried to establish the facts, we've gotten Mm -hmm. some clarity around our, our shared values. What can we do during a conversation itself to assert ourselves more effectively? Well, the first thing that I think really stands out is I call it keep your eyes on the prize. In other mm-hmm. words, what is the result you are aiming for here? And this goes back to something we talked about in the last podcast. It really helps to know for yourself what would be your desired outcome or what would mm. it look like if you got what you wanted. Or what would yeah, it look totally. like if, yeah, if there was a good result? So being clear about that. And I've seen this many, many times with couples interacting with each other. Uh, a wants X. Okay. A and B are together. A wants something mm-hmm. to happen. Call it X. And that something could be a concrete behavioral result. Like A wants the partner B to act differently in some very specific way. Uh, or it could be that uh, a wants the X of feeling understood and and really having some demonstration of that. Or even all that A really wants is they just want B to be quiet for once and mm. hear A out. Whatever else happens, that's frosting on the cake. But the cake mm-hmm. is just having a chance for A, in this case, to express themselves. All right. So let's suppose then that A really wants X, whatever that is. A then starts moving in the direction of X, and very often it it happens, sometimes frankly deliberately by other people, or let's say unconsciously deliberately, they throw sand out. They muddy the waters. Uh, I think about the Mm. ink-like cloud that comes from squids as a defensive maneuver, and they'll bring in all these side issues. Well, yeah, but you also, or what about, or yeah, but... The da-da-da-da, you know? And then what Mm -hmm. does A do? At that point, A has a choice. Once in a while, it's appropriate to chase that new shiny object, as you put it really usefully, uh, that shiny object of this distracting theme. Very, very often, though, I find what really helps is for A to just sort of let that go by and stay on target, really sustain a focus on what it is that they really want. I've seen for people in interactions often, it's so tempting to take the bait, so tempting to go off or really address things. It's helpful to say to yourself, I'm remembering what's happening here. I may come back to these things later. Uh, You may need to say to the other person, okay, I got it. I'm really happy to talk about that other thing you're now bringing up. And I want to complete on the topic that I put on the table. This has to do a little bit with topic control in an interaction and uh, keep asking yourself, whose topic are we on? Are we on the topic I want to be on in the frame of skillful assertiveness or are we drifting away from that topic to some other topic? And also to Mm, go back to, mm -hmm. I think our last podcast or one before that where we talked about being prepared to comment on process. Part of skillful assertiveness 
is to be willing to reserve to yourself the right to pop out of the um, the interaction. In other words, to kind of step out of the dance itself from time to time and kind of freeze the dance and say, look, I just want to say that the way we're talking here, I don't think is really mm. useful to us. I think we should slow mm -hmm. it down or mm -hmm. tell you what, why don't we agree? I'll talk for a minute straight and then you talk for a minute straight. Then I'll talk for a yeah. minute straight. Then you'll talk for a minute. Can we do that? No, you know, I think you're... that that's a huge part of a good conversation and of mm -hmm. skillful asserting is having those moments where you when you feel, because mm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this uh, skillfully, yeah. but I think that most of the time you can kind of feel when a conversation's getting away from you. Yeah, and right. sure, maybe maybe some of us can't, or maybe we don't have a good read on another person, or maybe somebody just suddenly gets up and walks away. But I think mm. that most of the time we can sense when things are starting to spiral out of control. And to assert ourselves in that moment, just by kind of reestablishing, not my control over the conversation, but our control over the conversation. Mm -hmm. So we're both really still kind of getting what we want and what we need out of it, mm -hmm. I think is a huge part of asserting yourself effectively. Yeah. And other people uh, sometimes will deliberately try to change the subject because they don't sure. like our topic. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> they're at a disadvantage if the if the topic is let's say what we want it to be and mm -hmm. uh, as a bit of a process comment sometimes it's necessary to say to somebody essentially look i want to talk about x i started talking about x i thought we were talking about x meanwhile you're raising these other things okay i'm not going to argue with you right now about those other things i just want to flag them Let's talk about them later. And I will absolutely agree with you that when we're finished with X, I am going to happily talk with you about Y and Z and Alpha Prime that you keep bringing up here. But can we sure. stay on my topic at least for 10 minutes in a row before we mm -hmm. move into something else? I think that's mm -hmm. a really useful thing. Okay. So keep your eyes on the prize. And um, also, if you start to realize that the prize is having a certain kind of useful interaction. And increasingly, it's clear that the other person is incapable of having that kind of conversation. Or deep down inside, they don't want to have it. They're not motivated. In fact, they're motivated to obstruct that particular kind of conversation. See it clearly. Uh, and then mm. decide what to do. Do you name that? Sometimes what you need to do is really pop up to the process level and say, whoa, Maybe I'm coming at this wrong. Maybe I'm rubbing you the wrong way. I don't know. I'm, I'm happy to correct the way I'm approaching things, if, if that's appropriate here. But do you really want to talk about this with me? And do mm. you really want to come to a resolution here? Uh, what's your notion of what it would look like if we could actually solve this problem so we're no longer quarrel about it from, from now on? Um, sometimes you, you need to do that with, with other people. And I've seen people occasionally get angry about that because it is a process move. It's a, it's a powerful kind of move in an in interaction. On the other hand, I've, I've more often than not seen the other person who's on the receiving end of that kind of inquiry, that observation and, and inquiry. Hey, do you really want to talk about this? Are you, are you really, are you really here? Are you up for being here with this? Mm. More often than mm -hmm. not, I find that the other person who's hearing that has to take stock inside, and they realize, yeah, you got me, or, you know, yep, that's true. I wasn't really showing up here, and okay, I'm dropped in. I'm here for this. Let's do this thing. 
Let's do it. I'm here with a whole heart, with in good faith. I may disagree with you, but I'm here on the basis of good faith. I think that's great. A version of that, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, of that keeping your eyes on the prize idea is yeah. focusing on the future. Uh, we've mm. talked about this many times in previous podcasts where yeah. you've mentioned that uh, three of your favorite words in the English language are from now on. Right. And any framework of assertion, I think, requires that we move from that fact-finding, which is essentially mm-hmm. what's happened in the past, to now what's going to happen in the future. And yeah. in doing that, I think that we have to, to a certain extent, to the extent to which it is reasonable, sort of release the other person from their sort of suffering about what's happened in the past. And if we constantly Mm. hammer them about the ways in which something was bad previously, I I just think that that's one of those ink clouds that gets us distracted from the real value in the conversation, which is what you actually want to get out of it. So Mm. to the extent to which it's possible, focusing on, okay, what are we going to do now? Here's what happened in the past, but I'm not going to argue with you about that. I'm not going to be, I'm going to release my, I'm going to forgive you for it. I'm going to release my kind of madness about it, again, to the extent to which it's reasonable. And now we're just going to both set our eyes forward and look on into the future. I think Mm -hmm. that's a really powerful part of asserting yourself effectively. I think that's really, really useful. And it's great. And if you just think about it, so many quarrels are about the past. There is a place for feeling heard about what happened in the past, if that's the prize that's really, really, really important to you, okay. Uh, And sometimes it's appropriate to use the past a bit as an example for what you'd like the future to be. But all Mm -hmm. that said, I I think of the line, the future is the undiscovered country. And uh, it's full of hope. It's full of possibility. Uh, And I find that people sort of relax and soften. You can just sort of see them. Take a big breath. Okay, okay, okay. What are we going to do from now on? And um, it's really positive to pin that down. And I find one of the most useful questions for people related to that is, what would it look like if you got what you wanted? Uh, Flip it around. Mm. When you're on the receiving end of someone else's skillful assertiveness conversation, (laughs) they're coming at you. in a way that's not dismissive or stonewalling, but is actually an, a genuine invitation in which you're still reserving your rights. It's so powerful to ask another person, okay, I got it. What would it look like if you got what you wanted here? What would it look like if you got what you wanted from me? And I've seen other people then respond, well, what do you mean what I wanted? Like as if what they want is bad. No, it's, I'm not saying what you want is bad. I'm not saying that it's bad that you want things. I just mean it. Pick your pick your word. Uh, if it turned out better in the future, or if it felt better for you from now on, please, what would that actually look like? And operationalizing concretely what it would actually look like is often very useful. The more I don't know squirmy people are about a particular topic, uh, the more important it is typically to really, really specify operationally, behaviorally, what it would look like if they got what they wanted. And Mm. I've seen that. I'm going to give you two kind of examples of that. So uh, one is in which we want support from other people, emotional support. Maybe we want to feel that they're uh, supportive about uh, an illness that we have or how hard it is to be a stay-at-home parent, let's say, at clocking hour after hour after hour alone. 
typically with young children, or maybe uh, they, a person might want emotional support, going to a family gathering with the in-laws, things like that. And it's kind of embarrassing. I don't know if I want to really say what I want. So that's one mm. example. And here's another example, and I'll, I'll keep this PG-13, but in the area of physical, sensual, sexual aspects of a relationship, uh, as a lot of research shows, especially in longer-term relationships, it's not that common, frankly, for both partners to be really, really happy with what's happening. Uh, and therefore, one person often is kind of wanting something different, whatever it might be, both how people are specifically and physically when they're together or uh, around uh, romance and passion and se sexuality. Mm -hmm. And there too, it can be really helpful, although it, it can feel scary and there can be an internal sense of inhibition to get fairly concrete and physical and specific. And then finally, uh, whether whatever it's about, uh, support, sexuality, or anything else, when it's on the table operationally, what it would look like if you got what you wanted or what would actually um, help you feel what you want to feel, then when it's on the table, you can really uh, see if the other person is going to do it. They know what you really want. You've moved out of mm -hmm. clouds of euphemisms and hinting and kind of implicit buried requests or, or you've moved out of your belief that it should be obvious that everyone knows that. Well, mm -hmm. not everyone knows that, frankly, or it's not always obvious universally that. Mm -hmm. So when you've moved down into something operational and concrete, then you know that the other person knows what you're asking for. And you know if they've actually delivered, flip it around, if, if, if the other person is on the receiving end of a well-operationalized request, of a well-defined request, then they know what to do. And they can really commit to it. Or they can say, you know, honestly, that's just not my cup of tea. That one gives me the willies. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Or it's just not true for me. It's not authentic for me. Uh, okay. But at least what they can commit to going forward is knowable for them, which takes them off the hook. Then they realize, oh, this is what's going to make you happy, which very often in even in high conflict relationships, I've been astonished for so many times about actually how little it takes to make another person happy. Or to put it mm -hmm. a little differently, how little it takes to put out the fire in that other mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. Now, occasionally it takes much more than is realistic or that you're actually prepared to do. But I find again and again and again the time scale of what it would take to actually make another person really happy with you is rarely more than half an hour a day on average over the course, let's say, of a week. Half an hour or less a day of real conversation, half an hour or less a day averaged and often in bite-sized pieces of some feeling of physical affection and contact with another person or averaging half an hour a day to uh, feel that the other person is has shared interests with you or that they're going to um, act differently, let's say at work, in, to some extent, half an hour a day. And I think a vast number of interpersonal issues would just be resolved if um, people were willing to change what they do at the timescale of roughly just half an hour a day or even less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a really great point. And it's a uh... 
It's a sort of wonderful thought in general. An element of that, particularly when you were talking earlier about this, do you want to stay in connection or move into problem solving or Mm -hmm. kind of determining what somebody really wants or what you really want? I think it's important when you're asserting yourself to, generally speaking, make requests rather than demands. Yeah, we've said this many times in yeah, we've said this many times in previous podcasts, but you want to be really conscious about the tone that you're using, particularly when you're coming to somebody else with a complaint of some kind or a I would like it if it were different of some kind. And it's really, really easy to drop into demands. You Mm. must do this. Uh, You Mm. know, I need you to do that. And then to start waving sticks around about the consequences that will follow if these demands are not met. In general, in real life, most of the time, we actually can't make other people do things. Mm. And I think that's a really important kind of concept or idea or lesson for everyone to just kind of fess up to a little bit. Most of the time, we can't make other people do things in our interpersonal relationships. And moving towards the framework of a request rather than a demand really minimizes your power struggles with the other person. It it moves things from power relationship into kind of intentionally going one down almost Mm. so that the Mm. hackles on the back of their neck don't get raised. And if they make an agreement with you, it's not under duress. It's because they wanted to make the agreement with That's you. So and true. I think that, yeah, most people are much more motivated to honor agreements that they make because they want to rather than they feel like they have to. Yeah. So I think that that's a really important element of this whole thing. So how do you, for us, separate walking on eggshells, beseeching, pleading mm. from feeling strong uh, in the making of a request? I think that it is a great and subtle point that, to be honest, we could probably spend a whole podcast on to to give sort of a a one-sentence answer to what I think is like a very big and and important question. I think a lot of it is the feeling inside of yourself and the feeling of I, too, am bringing something to the table. That's interesting. Yeah, that kind of pleading... Hmm. comes from a really unequal power relationship inside of a relationship. And again, we could spend a whole episode, if not many episodes, on managing power struggles inside of a relationship or managing like unequal power dynamics inside of a relationship. But if you come to the table with a feeling of equality, with a feeling Hmm. of we are equal partners here, then I think that a request can be given with a real sense of for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of fullness and Mm. confidence Mm. rather than pleading or sadness. Yeah. And that's a very subtle distinction, and I'm even not totally sure if I'm choosing the right words here, but I I know the difference in feeling inside of myself Mm -hmm. when I make a request from a position of, hey, I would really like it if you did X. Yep. As opposed to saying, you know, my life is going to end if you don't do X. And, and yeah. there really is a difference there. So Yeah, that's great. I think it is clear what you're saying. And um, just to mm. build on it, I think it uh, as maybe a different way kind of of saying what you're saying. It's to know for yourself that people in general are allowed to make that sort of request. And second, since people in general are allowed to make that kind of request, it's okay for you to make the request. There's no shame in making a request. Uh, It's okay if your request makes the other person a little uncomfortable because people in general are allowed to make requests like that. It's all right. I think that's true. 
A second thing that helps is to have a feeling of dignity in yourself. And then the last thing is to know deep down inside yourself that you can frame things as requests while also reserving your rights to act unilaterally if they don't grant your request. Or if they say, sure, but actually over time demonstrate the fact that they really are not committed to fulfilling your request. You reserve the right mm. to, um, to do what you do. And making it as a request rather than a demand does not mm -hmm. mean you are giving up your rights to act unilaterally based on what you see over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of it, just as we've spoken about extensively at this point, kind of just comes down to tone and comes down to the wrapping paper that we put on the kind of message that we're trying to deliver to the other yeah, person. That's right. So now to kind of finish, what are some mm -hmm. of the things that we can do towards the end of a conversation or even after that conversation has happened altogether to increase the likelihood that our assertion sticks to the other person? Yeah. First thing, consolidate your gains. Do not snatch mm. uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. In other words, yeah, I've I seen, think that's a huge one. Yeah, I've seen people where, honestly, it's better to get 100% of a small thing than 80% of a big thing. Nail down what's going to happen mm. and then disengage from the interaction often and help it feel successful for both of you so that the other person then will have an expectation the next time you want to bring up an issue that probably is going to come to a nice soft landing of some sort of resolution. This is not a hard rule. I'm not trying to tell people that you just have, should stop talking after you uh, nail down the first item on your agenda with the other person. But think about the tendency to rush on to the next thing before stabilizing the current thing. Uh, in a way, that's related to the whole general point that you and I have talked about of taking in the good. In other words, helping the current good thing to really register in you and really land in you before you zoom on to the next beneficial experience. In the same way, I think it's really helpful with other people to stabilize so that both of you know, okay, we've, we've landed here on a good place. Let's claim it. Let's own mm. it. Let's, just, let's, let's be here together. And then, all right, maybe go on to the next thing or maybe just leave it right there. But either way, consolidate your gains. I think that's a really good mm -hmm. one. That's been important for me. I think another thing is, especially as it's appropriate, make clear agreements. Mm. It's really astonishing how often there are misunderstandings between well-intended, intelligent, careful people, even well-intended, intelligent, <laughs> careful people. Yeah. And people use words differently. What does it mean to try? What does it mean to care? What does it mean mm. to show up? What does it mean to uh, not yell? What is yelling exactly? Mm -hmm. uh, what does it look like to interrupt? Are, are you interrupting me right now for us when you say, uh-huh? Well, some people might take it like that. <laughs> Other people sure. wouldn't. Yeah. So just clarifying, turning implicit, vague, fuzzy clouds of under mutual understanding into something that's concrete and well-specified and bounded. Mm -hmm. So you know what you're agreeing to, what you know what you're committing to, what you're promising, uh, what your shared understanding is. And then you can come back to that clear understanding going forward. Obviously, you don't need to do this if everything's fine and, and a wink and a nod gets 
gets the job done. And sometimes I think there's a place, it's sort of like a version of the term healthy denial, but you understand each other and that's good enough going forward. But if that implicit fuzzy understanding doesn't really work, I think pinning it down is often really, really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. A version of that, of making a clear agreement, and also maybe relating a little bit to consolidating your gains, mm. is exploring how it's possible for you to help the other person achieve the thing that you want them to achieve. I think that mm. there's a certain trickiness about this sort of thing, because I think that some people, when they're asked by somebody, hey, what would help you do this? Mm -hmm. Or what can I do to make this easier for you? There's yeah. sort of a suggestion of an implicit power relationship in that. Mm. And there's sort of a suggestion that maybe you're not capable of achieving this on your own. And because of that, I think that it's important to be careful with this sort of a thing. But if you think yeah. it's appropriate in the framework of your relationship with that other person, and if it's about a topic where maybe there's been a little bit of struggle in the past and both parties admit yeah, there's been a little bit of struggle in the past here, then mm -hmm. I think that it really is appropriate to ask, what would help you here? What can mm -hmm. I do to make this happen? Um, and also, it kind of just returns a little bit to that idea of joining with and yep. reconnecting us to shared purpose with another person. I think that's great. Uh, I think, when, you know, there are these basic questions. Just, just sort of go back to the notion in a previous podcast about thought balloons over people's heads, mm. the mm -hmm. implicit questions we think. Uh, even think not just with words, but maybe with images or with feelings. But deep down inside, I think there's a key question, which is uh, quite poignant. Uh, what do you want from me? How could I be in this relationship? How could I be with you? that would help you, that would enable you um, to give me more of what I really need. Or to flip it around. Um, I think there's a moment when we're on the receiving end of a grievance or a, a want or a, a longing, a request perhaps, from another person where we really register, yeah, I should do that unilaterally, let's say, going mm -hmm. forward. And we can sometimes find ourselves in a place where it's powerful and useful to say to another person, you're right. I really want to be more that way in the future. You're totally right. Um, I'm sorry about how I've been about that in the past. Let's say getting irritable about something or other with another person. And I'm going to try, I'm going to really work on that. And, and I'm going to hold myself to working on that no matter what you do. That said, honestly, it would make it easier for me and I'd be more able to be this new way with you if you mm -hmm. also did such and such, or if you also, you know, didn't do such and such. Like that's, I think, a really useful thing with other people, especially if it's framed in good faith as mm -hmm. forward-looking from now on and uh, about uh, building relationships rather than framed as some kind of lawyerly last-minute negotiation or yes, mm -hmm. but, uh, etc. The other thing I would just say about that, um, maybe to finish on this point, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of um, asking others what we, what we could give them that would really help them, is to just think about it along the way. You know, if other people, for example, uh, while you're trying to keep your eyes on the prize, are throwing up these other things, if you can very quickly just give it to them it, with, in a way that's authentic, I would say, just give it to them. Say, okay, I won't do that again. I've, 
had mm. numerous situations with people where I was pursuing some prize of some sort with them, and they would throw up a yes, but, or will you also do that? And honestly, I, I knew that I could make that commitment right on the spot. Okay, I'll take that on board. I just won't do that anymore. Or, okay, from now on, I'll do it that way. I'll do it your mm -hmm. way. And to say that to someone, it's funny to look at the, see the expression on their face where you could see the shock and then some kind of quick evaluation. Does he really mean it? Really? And then mm -hmm. you can see them soften like, whoa. And it also kind of calls people to a certain standard. If you yourself are willing to, mm -hmm. to know that you can commit quickly to giving other people what they're wanting from you such that it disappears as an issue. Obviously, they've got to, you know, make sure that you do it in the future and so forth. But let's suppose mm -hmm. that you do and that your word generally is good, which is another reason to make sure your word is good so that people will trust you and believe you when you rapidly uh, are agreeable or compliant with them. You know, when people know that about you and you're setting that example yourself, then that naturally <laughs> is a rising tide that tends to lift them up to that level, too, in their dealings with you. Yeah, I think that's a really great note to close this episode on. All right. Today we explored material related to asserting yourself effectively. We began by talking about why it's difficult to assert ourselves with skill, and the two traps that people tend to fall into, those being not stating what they want or need clearly, or burying that assertion in a lot of bad tone and unclear requests. We then talked about the three phases of a conversation before it begins, during it, and after it, and how we can assert ourselves effectively during each. The primary suggestions were to find the facts, clarify values, focus on the future, make requests rather than demands, keep your eyes on the prize, make clear agreements, and consolidate your gains. When we do this, we can assert ourselves from a stance of calm strength rather than pleading with another person. That's it for today's episode on Asserting Yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast through the platform of your choice. It helps other people find it, and we really do appreciate it. We hope you'll join us again next week when we'll continue the strength of courage with what I think will be one of our best episodes, How to Repair Your Relationships with Others. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>